2: You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Hey, this is Lisa, also known as Mrs. Mad Money Monster.
0: This is the Landshark. This is Mr. Refined from refinedbyfire.co. This is Robert from Stop Ironing Shirts. And you're on the What's Up Next podcast.
3: What's Up Next, where your hosts, Paul David Thompson and Doc G, take the discussion on topics in the financial independence movement to the next level. Guest panelists share their opinion to questions that don't have clear answers to help you refine your path to financial independence.
4: Welcome, this is Paul David Thompson. And this is Doc G. So Paul Thompson, what's up next? Well, Doc, as most of you probably know, this is a podcast about financial independence and retiring early. But the question today is, has the fire burned out? Blogs, podcasts, and YouTube oh my! We have four guests that are going to talk about their journey along their path to financial independence. And let's just jump into the conversation and give each of them a chance to do a quick introduction.
3: This is Lisa from Mad Money Monster. And I actually found the fire movement back in 2015. And it prompted the start of my blog. Uh, my husband and I were just getting married at that that point and trying to get our finances on track and just setting up our, our marriage at that point.
5: Hi, this is the Shark, and I'm a 40-year-old trial attorney and I discovered the financial independence movement a couple of years ago from the Bogleheads Forum and started seeing everybody writing about fire and wondering what exactly fire was. And that kind of led me into a spiral of discussion and discovery on the internet.
0: My name is Mr. Refined at RefinedByFire.co, and the way that I got into financial independence was really a, a few years of studying millionaires and billionaires and looking to replicate their paths to success. Um, listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast, when I heard about Scott Trench's book Set for Life, and that really unlocked the formula for me. So from there, I just began the rabbit hole of blogs and podcasts and and went in headfirst.
6: This is Robert from Self-Ironing Shirts. I probably stumbled on financial independence early with the Clark Howard radio show and message boards in early 2000s, but I didn't know it was called FIRE until I found Mr. Money Mustache in 2013.
1: All right, let's start with you, Lisa. Tell us where you were in life at this time when you developed FIRE. What was your net worth? What was going on at that time?
3: Well, I don't usually discuss net worth numbers. And such, but my husband and I—we were a, a series of uh, taking two steps forward and one step backwards as far as our our lives up until that point. And 2015, we were in the process of buying a home that we couldn't really comfortably afford, only because we had a rental property, and then we also had a current home that we were going to turn into a rental property. So having all that overhead and just, I guess, the stress of having those liabilities and not knowing what would happen if a tenant would move out, if you know, and he has—he does consulting work and contract work. So what if, you know, the next year isn't as good as the last. It was those sort of things. And then we just kind of got a little bit too stressed out. We pulled the plug after a bad inspection on that big home we were going to buy, which was fantastic. It was so much relief. And that's when I did the internet rabbit hole and found the fire movement. So that's that's how we got down that hole and I found many blogs and just wanted to replicate that success and get our finances really on the fast track and that's where fire came in for us.
1: Robert, I'm interested in what Lisa just said. It sounds like for her, the home inspection was somewhat of a trigger event. Talk about where you found financial independence in your career pathway. Did you have a specific trigger? And were you early in your career when you came to this idea?
6: We were always pretty frugal, and I credit my wife for most of that. But I think in 2013, it was really my trigger because we had grinded through $100,000 in student loan debt. We bought a big, fancy house in Atlanta that immediately plummeted in value after we bought it. But by the time 2013 rolled around, you know, we had some savings and then the market returned almost 30% that year. So we were looking at our accounts month after month and realizing we actually have a decent sum of money. And as we were researching what to do with it, that's kind of where we stumbled across Mr. Money Mustache. And when you see somebody who retired with 600,000 and a paid off house and we said, hey, we're not too far from that, we got really
5: interested.
1: So Landshark, how does an ocean goer like you come across the financial independence movement? Did you have a similar trigger event that sent you looking for it?
5: Probably the triggering event for the Landsharks was uh, family. We had our kids and uh, we started looking into learning more about finances and I discovered the financial independence movement through the Bogo Heads Forum, like I said earlier. The Bogo Heads were great in that they would give crowdsourced free financial advice. And they would take your investments, take your bank account holdings, your real estate holdings, and then tell you what you could do if you wanted to pursue a Boglehead philosophy in terms of investing. So the the three fund portfolio was really big. VTSAX, you know, Vanguard, low cost index funds that kind of set everything in motion for the land sharks but what really helped coalesce financial independence as something that was motivating for the land sharks was really tracking the net worth and tracking it regularly on a monthly and an annual basis so you could really start seeing the progress that you're making on a monthly and annual basis
1: mr refined it sounds like for land shark the baby land sharks played a role for you was children one of the main reasons you found financial independence
0: yeah, they absolutely were. So I guess my journey begins shortly after I graduated college with just under about $100,000 worth of debt. I ended up unfortunately getting assaulted. And for that the four weeks of my life that I didn't have medical insurance, um, I ended up accruing another $100,000 of medical costs. So graduated college with about $200,000 of debt and got very disciplined and focused on paying that off. And then once it got paid off, I kind of felt directionless. It took me reconnecting with where I go from here in my finances. And unfortunately, I had a second wave of misfortune occur when I put a down payment on a house and a down payment on an engagement ring. The girl that I was going to marry actually ended up leaving and left me with this big house that I was going to grow into with a large family. And that wasn't able to happen. And I also lost my job at that time. So it was a very difficult time where I had the opportunity to sit down and think about where I wanted my life to go and where I wanted it to end. And I really just began with the end in mind because I had this time to reflect every day and I mapped out what I wanted my life course to look like.
1: Mr. Refinda, it sounds like you had a series of financial catastrophes that pushed you in that direction. Is that fair to
0: say? That's very fair to say. There's a a lot more than I've even gone into yet.
1: So Lisa, talk about this idea. You know, a lot of us find financial independence and we get there faster and go through the content more thoroughly than let's say our spouses. Where was your spouse at when you first discovered the FIRE movement? Was he into financial independence and more importantly, was he into the retire early idea? Not at all, on both
3: accounts. (laughs) So my husband is fortunate in that he actually loves his career. He loves what he does. He would actually pay somebody to do it. So he doesn't really care about his salary, increasing his salary, retiring early. He will never retire early, no matter what. Um, So it was more so me that really, you know, was drawn to this fire flame as far as retiring early. But yeah, he definitely was not into it.
1: Robert, it sounds like you had a pretty meteoric path from where you discovered the financial independence movement to retiring recently. Was your wife always on board?
6: I think it took her a while to get on board to figure out that you could actually retire with this much money. But one of the things that helped get her on board is she started with a career break in 2014. So she took some time off work and I was still working. We were able to save more money and she saw the net worth continue to increase. So her ability to stop working and see the net worth keep going up sold her on the idea pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, there's nothing like uh, making money when you're not working, right? That's right. So was Mrs. Landshark also on board with this idea of financial independence?
5: Fortunately for the Landsharks, uh, Mrs. Landshark was always more frugal and better naturally at finances than the Landshark. The Landshark graduated law school and had a lot of debt. The land shark liked to buy nice things. Whereas Mrs. Landshark was kind of a natural, frugal person who was responsible with finances and didn't go out shopping for new boats and canoes and surfboards and you know things that you know land sharks would typically be interested in.
1: It sounds like the land shark is quite a consumer.
5: Naturally, yes. So it, it takes great discipline on the land shark's behalf to not just go take a bite out of everything that he can find in the store or on Amazon.
1: So Mr. Refined, I'm interested in this idea of financial independence because we all get to the beginning point where we're really excited about it. And it seems like once we kind of follow this path for a while, sometimes it starts not feeling as good as we thought it would. In one of your posts, I saw you talk about a kind of cats in the cradle moment. Can you describe that and what that meant to you?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the catalysts for me to want to do financial independence is one day when I was picking up my kids. So I'm a single father. When I had that mini retirement, I kind of wrote all of my priorities in order. And I realized that very few of them were finance came pretty low down the list. And what did matter is spending time with my kids. So for that mini retirement, I was able to take you know several hours a day and teach my kid how to throw a spiral football, um, take him fishing, do tea parties with my daughter, things like that, that just brought so much more fulfillment to my life. And what I realized is after interviewing the kids on what they remember from the year before. They couldn't even recall what I had bought them for a Christmas gift or birthday gift. When I asked them what their favorite memory was from last year, they said, Hey dad, it was at tea party. Thanks for showing me to throw that spiral football. So I realized that it was centered around this quality time that I was able to spend with my kids. And the pinnacle moment for me was one day when I was picking up my kids from daycare. And remember, I'm a single father. So my routine is ridiculous. I get up at six o'clock in the morning. I make some breakfast, get the kids' lunches ready, get them packed up, shovel them off to school. They go from school to daycare And then I get done with work at six. I try to race there before daycare closes so I don't have to pay fees and pick them up, make them dinner, you know, get them in the shower, read a book to them and go to bed. So my quality time with them is a couple minutes over dinner. And that's assuming that I get to sit down and eat with them and a couple minutes maybe tucking them into bed. So that quality time is essential. And one day when I picked up my son from daycare, He just looked totally downcast and like somebody had beat him up. And I was looking for a black guy. I was looking for a split lip. I was trying to understand what had got him so down. He's a really little guy. So I thought maybe somebody was picking on him at school. He wouldn't even talk to me until I got him to the car. And he said, dad, I hate always being the last one that gets picked up from daycare. And that was a huge gut punch to me because I realized that I had created this almost workaholic life where I just wasn't able to spend quality time with my kids. And that was the one thing that they wanted more than anything in the world.
1: And the reference there is to, is it Cat Stevens who sang Cats in the Cradle and missing his son's childhood? Is that the reference from the song?
0: Yeah, the reference from the song is basically this father describes a life of, you know, growing up and being too busy to spend time with his kid and then eventually gets old and wants to now make up for all that time that he's missed with his his son. And he says, well, hey, do you have time for me now that, you know, I'm done working? And his son basically says, nope, I'm trying to build my empire. don't have time for you. Maybe another day.
1: And so when you came to this realization, did it make you run towards financial independence faster or did it make you slow down and kind of enjoy your surroundings? more?
0: It actually, I've yo-yoed. So it's a complicated question. But at first, I realized that I needed financial independence and I wanted it so that I could spend quality time with my kids. So it actually catapulted me towards working harder. And that, that incident that I told you about at daycare forced me to do most of my side hustles at night after I put them to bed because I realized I needed to create some spare time, some quality time for them now. But that ended up backfiring and, you know, with four side hustles, eventually that backfired and had some repercussions on my health.
1: So Lisa, let's go from side hustles to your main gig. I saw you write somewhere in your blog, you say, I never hated my job till I discovered the fire movement. Tell me yeah. about that a little bit.
3: That is absolutely true. I think one of the uh, side effects, maybe, to the fire movement is it kind of makes you not like your present situation because you're focused so much on getting out of it and building a different situation that, you know, you, you go to work and you're like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I hate this. Everybody's taught to hate their cubicle and their fluorescent lights. and But you know what? I actually like going to work. In fact, I have the option to work from home at least two days a week. And I rarely, rarely take that option because I like going to the office. I like my coworkers. I like the interaction. I like feeling like I'm saving lives so like, I have my job itself. That is something that does occur. So I don't know. It just really made me not like that atmosphere. And I, I never had that before. I never hated my job until I found fire.
1: Robert, I want you to follow up on that. In your blog, you mentioned this idea of you giving your notice as this giant crescendo moment when you walk into the office and give your notice to your boss. But then you also talk about the wisdom of Coastal Fi. Can you talk to us a little bit about what Coastal Fi is and how that relates to financial independence burnout?
6: Sure. I mean, so the the concept of Coast Fi, or I like to define it as once you get five or six hundred thousand dollars saved up and you're under the age of 40, you really never have to contribute another dollar to your retirement accounts. Cause at that point, you know, you'll inevitably be a multimillionaire at normal retirement age. And where sometimes I look back and wonder is, should I have, you know, five years ago gone and changed a career or went to a more laid back employer? versus working really hard to try to hit this number to not ever work again. Because Some other people write about this, but I'm only, you know, four months out of, from giving my notice and there's already income opportunities that are showing up. And in hindsight, I'm going to realize that I worked longer than I really needed to.
1: So in a sense, the power of compounding, right? So if you have in a retirement account like a 401k, $500,000 when you're 35 years old, as long as you broadly index that money and leave it, by the time you retire, you should have millions. Is, Is that the
6: idea? That's right.
1: And do you think this would relieve some of us of, you know, quote unquote, grinding it out at work?
6: Yeah, I really would. And I think the fear that I always had was that I wouldn't be able to replicate the income that I was making before. But the reality is, I had didn't need to replicate that income again, I would have been fine at 30 or 40% of that amount. And that was readily available to me at some places that probably would have been less stressful to work.
1: Landshark, talk to us a little bit about FOMO. I mean, do we have fear of missing out in the financial independence community?
5: I think there's two two different camps, right? There are the lean fire types, those who believe that, well, if you can hit the $600,000, $700,000 financial independence target, then I'll be able to make a change in my career and fire and enjoy life. And then there are those who are more risk adverse and who believe that they need to really hit. And this is one of the camps that I think Landshark falls into. You know, by all metrics, Landshark is FI. Landshark has enough in retirement accounts, has a paid off house, probably could could retire today, but doesn't feel fi and is, is trying to, to thread that needle. It's a delicate balance, right? You want to have enough to make sure that you can provide for the family, provide for your children, provide for the life that you want to have. But it's, it's really figuring out when enough is enough, which is the real struggle that the Lanchard family uh, is presently struggling with. Because at the same time, you know, Lanchard truly believes that taking the time to appreciate you know, the best things out of life, which in Landshark's opinion are a loving marriage, healthy children. Those are the happiest parts of life. And prioritizing family above all else is absolutely critical.
1: So Mr. Refined, Landshark talks about trying to figure out when enough is enough. And it reminds me of a blog post you wrote where you tell the Mexican fisherman story. Can you repeat that story here for the podcast?
0: Absolutely. So, I did a post about a story about a well to do businessman that goes down to Mexico on vacation. And uh, he sees he's about to go out in his chartered boat and he sees another Mexican coming in from the ocean. And he notices that there are a few quality fish in his boat and he admires those. He says, Wow, those are some high quality fish. Where did you get those? And how long did it take you to catch them? And the Mexican fisherman points out to the ocean and says, Oh, just around there. And just this morning, And the businessman says, oh, wow, you've caught these quality fish already this morning. You know, if you would have stayed out a little bit longer, you could have caught many, many more fish. And he says, no, I have enough fish for my my family and one for my neighbor and the businessman says, well, what are you going to do now? And he says, well, I go home to my family. I lay in the hammock with my wife. We have siesta together. Uh, Later this evening, I go to town to play guitar with my amigos and to sip on some wine. And he says, well, if you would just stay out a few more hours, you could catch a few more fish. And with these fish, you could bring them to the market and sell them for a profit. Then you'd be able to afford a bigger boat. And because I have an MBA in business, I can tell you that that bigger boat then would be able to produce more fish and you could get a fleet of boats of eventually. And one day you could have other people going out doing the fishing for you while you build out the distribution chain as you bring these fish directly to the customer. And you could move to LA one day and maybe even New York. And he says, senor, and then what? And the businessman says, well, after about Twenty years of this, you'd be able to retire. And he says, senor, and then what? He says, well, then you could move to a small coastal village, go fishing in the morning, have a siesta with your wife, and go play guitar with your amigos while you sip on some wine in the evening.
1: So Lisa, when you hear this, do you think that we place retirement above passion in what we do? Is that our problem? Is that we're not going for our passion?
3: I think that's probably a part of it. Like I said, my husband is already passionate about his career. So the early retirement piece meant nothing to him. Now, I do want to make clear, we still are going after FI. (laughs) We didn't drop the FI from fire, But yeah, passion definitely plays a piece.
1: Robert, now that you are post-retirement, are you happy that you kind of, quote unquote, grinded it out a little bit? Or do you wish you had fouled your passion a little bit more earlier on in the game?
6: I'm still trying to figure out the answer to that question. I mean, it's tough. I try not to look back at the past and dwell on it because that doesn't get us anywhere. I'm happy with the path that I took. In hindsight, I may have worked a bit longer than I really needed to. The other piece of it that I think took a long time for me to come to terms with was separating myself from that professional identity. You know, I hear I hear what Landshark said and I struggle with that a lot because I was in a position where I carried a fancy president title, was responsible for a budget. I had 30, 40 people coming to me for advice. And you turn in your notice, all that stuff disappears.
1: Landshark, speak to that a little bit. How do you think you would do if you retired right now? Would that loss of identity be a big problem for you?
5: Landshark doesn't think so, and, and Landshark's glad that Mr. Refined brought up the story about the Mexican fishermen, because Landshark has feasted on many Mexican fishermen over the years, and they are quite tasty. On the issue of passion, though, you know, Landshark pursued his passions for about a decade after college and was a professional musician before becoming a lawyer. And so Lanchark doesn't feel any regrets, you know, for anything like that. Lanchark has tried the passion route, but, you know, more rewarding has been having a family, seeing children grow up, uh, having a loving relationship with Mrs. Lanchark. But in terms of how Lanchark would do right now, Lanchark thinks that uh, the most important thing is that you need to have some meaning in life, right? You need to have some purpose. And if you don't have something to retire to, uh, you're going to be bored when you actually retire. So really, it's it's figuring out what makes your life meaningful, joyous, free, and exciting, which is the whole purpose of striving for FIRE. And really for FI, not necessarily FIRE, because Landshark doesn't think that retiring early is necessarily the purpose in all of this. It really is achieving the freedom that phi brings that then facilitates doing what you want with the remaining time that you have left on this planet. So
0: you talked about following passion. And I think that's really important. I had a financial mentor once mentioned to me, if you had all the money you need to retire, and this is long before I knew what fire was, what would you do tomorrow? And I said, okay, so I don't have to go to my job and I don't have to earn money. I have what I need. He said, I would walk out into the woods and go hunting for a week and not come back out of the woods for an entire week. And he turned to me and looked me in the eyes and said, then you need to find a way to make money doing exactly that. And that gave birth actually to one of my side hustles right now, which is being a hunting guide because I get to go do my passion uh, and that's one of my weekend jobs. So I get to go live out that passion every day and sample it and try it now before my income's on the line or before I reach financial independence and see if that's really something I want to take on.
1: So Lisa, I'm interested by what Mr.
3: Refine says.
1: Is that the idea that maybe we can avoid burnout by bringing more purpose into our work lives?
3: For me, I think the burnout just came from, look, you find fire and you think you save X amount of money, you have whatever invested, you can quit and not work. But then the more blogs you read, the more podcasts you listen to, people are working. So what is the dream necessarily? Is it a career change? Then let's call it that. And maybe I'm going down the fire police, you know, hole at this point. But I truly do believe that, look, I created my blog. And as my blog has become more successful over the past four years, I have had sponsorships and I have had, you know, advertisements and I've had deliverables and contracts and things like that, that I've had to deal with, with my blog, which is just as stressful and time consuming, if not more than my full-time gig. So... I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this other than, is it really retiring early? To me, it's not.
1: Robert, I mean, I think that's a good question. I mean, we use the term FIRE, we talk about retire early, but is that really what people in our community are doing?
6: I would say for the most part, no. People aren't fully retiring. They get to the FI piece, and then they figure out what else they want to do, and those other things naturally bring in money. And people who got to this point just aren't going to turn down things that bring in money.
0: So to that, I might add, and I think I wrote this in, in one of my most recent posts, maybe the one about burnout, but it's just a simple thought that if money were of no consequence in your life, you'd get up in the morning and use the gifts that you've been given on the things that you care about in an environment that fits your values. Then you'd be able to live out your true calling And you'll have drive and energy to execute your true purpose and achieve fulfillment. Because at the end of the day, I don't think what we're looking for is a ton of money. I don't think what we're looking for is job title. I think what we're looking for is fulfillment. And that comes through, you know, the 12 virtues that I've listed on the site, you know, the autonomy, the mastery, the purpose, those kind of things.
5: Landshark thinks that that's a really good point that Mr. Refine brings up. Ultimately, from Landshark's perspective, it's meaning and contribution. That's what Landshark's striving for. And Landshark thinks that's what most people in the FIRE community are really striving for. It seems like it's an outlier where you have the FIRE blog who is talking about retiring early and just sitting in a hammock for all the time, right? Everybody wants to do something to make their life meaningful. And there are many different ways to achieve that could have a family, you could volunteer in your church, you could become a hunting guide. There are lots of different ways to contribute outside of just regular nine to five, you know, gainful W-2 employment that most of us are stuck in. But I think the drive that people have when they're actually striving for fire is identifying how can I contribute? How can I find that meaning outside of my employment? Now, some people may find it in the employment, which makes it difficult for them to leave. But a lot of people who don't feel passionately about their nine to five are too busy working to actually have the time to then spend the time to identify what it is that they actually want to spend the time doing with the rest of their lives.
3: You know, I'd also like to add that chasing a job title isn't necessarily a bad thing if it does give you fulfillment, right? I mean, we need smart people in in these higher level roles that are going to do good for the world, right? So if that brings you fulfillment, fantastic. I also don't think it's bad to want to have a big pile of cash at the end of your life to leave for your family for legacy wealth. And, and that's another thing that, you know, maybe I'm I'm a little bit different than everyone else, but that's my thought process.
0: That's a really good point. And I I can speak from having coached, financially coached a lot of different people that what's behind their why is things more like the ones that I mentioned, autonomy, mastery, purpose, but also identity, connection, community, contribution, progress, freedom gratitude and generosity. And I think it's those things that if they can get through their career, they're usually happy workers and have no intentions of retiring early. But if they're anything like me and they were stuck in a cube as a keyboard jockey pumping out stuff that people would forget about by the next day, then you don't get those fulfillment elements out of your day job. And some people, like you said, can get that out of their title. Me, it's nowhere in my title. You know, the things that I do don't ever get appreciated and they fall in deaf ears. And that's part of the reason I like to financially coach is because then I get to see the look on, people's face. I get to see how I've helped them. We get to get together later down the road and do a progress report. And I get hugged because I help somebody pay off their debt. Like that's making a meaningful, noticeable difference through connection and community in that. So I have to agree with that, that nothing wrong with the traditional fire wanting to have that pile of cash. But I think we're all chasing something. We're calling it a job because we're American. And that's what culture tells us to do is seek value through your profession and title. But the reality is I think in fire, that veil falls away and we're seeing things that mean more than job and title and income.
3: But on the heels of that, then you also have, when you have a passion, uh, like my blog, like I'm very passionate about my blog. And, you know, if I build it up so much that I can actually leave my W2 job, you know, will it just become the next job? I, I kind of feel like, yes, when you do something for money, it kind of changes things. And at least in my experience, when I've been working on the blog for a contract, for a sponsorship. So that's a caution of mine with the FIRE movement, with somebody, oh, I'm going to quit my W-2 job and then I'm going to go be passionate about this, this other job that I've created because I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur. And that's fantastic. However, then you don't have the big corporate job behind you then you have more stress potentially. It's just something to be aware of, I guess.
2: You know what? that's dot com slash E-A-R-N for your extended 30-day
0: free trial. Sorry, guys. That's certainly food for argument. And that controversy is definitely going on in every fire conversation there is. But the filter that I would pass that through is, do you love it so much that you would do it if you didn't get paid to do it? Because for me, that was being a hunting guide. You know, I literally would do that for zero dollars. That's true with my blog as well. I started it up just to see if it was something I wanted to do and was passionate about and would keep it going. And about a year in, I realized I love this. Like I hadn't even collected a paycheck at that point. I hadn't monetized my blog. And I said, I love this. This is awesome. So it makes sense for me to go to that next step and then monetize it. As you said, it's just the spirit of an entrepreneur. When you find something you love doing, make money at it while you do it. It Makes it that much more engaging.
3: Absolutely. And that's fantastic. And I didn't make money from my blog for the first year or two. But however, I have noticed that now that it does make money and I have these things, it's not as enjoyable as it was before I made money from it. So
5: One of the problems that people have, I think, is the limiting belief that if you're retiring from W2 employment into just a singular event, right? Just a singular purpose. You're just going to be working on your blog and that's it. You can have anxiety over that sort of thing, whereas you know you've you've got a long life, and you know that's one of the beautiful things, at least in Land Shark's mind, even though Land Shark's never taken one. But it's alluring to think about the idea of these mini retirements, a little sabbatical where you can actually take some time to unplug and do something that you like for a period of time, and then maybe go going back into work. But, you know, Landshark views it as, you know, life is long and there are a lot of wonderful things and exciting things to do in life. And we shouldn't just look at it as, okay, well, I'm going to retire from work and then I'm going to just do this one thing. There are a lot of things that you can do. And uh, there are a lot of things that you don't have the time to even explore knowing that you want to do them because you're stuck in a a nine to five, spending all your time, you know, just being a a W 2 employee. Whereas if you're fired and you have the time that frees up and the opportunity to explore all the wonderful things that are possible in this world, it's just such a, an alluring concept. And that's why I think everybody should be striving for Phi and not getting burnt out and pursuing Phi because ultimately, you know, the purpose in all of this is to buy us freedom and to buy us time. Yeah,
0: Landshark, that's an excellent point. I like the way that you structured that. And I have to say that I talked to uh, Brandon, the mad scientist, last year at FinCon, and he's a guy that has taken this journey and brought it all the way to the finish line, and then had some time across the finish line to really evaluate what life is like. And that's a unique perspective. He's just a little bit further ahead of the game than a lot of us are. So I took that time to ask him a question. I said, what would you do differently? And his one and only one answer was, I would have slowed down. I wouldn't have taken it so aggressively, and I would have stopped and smelled the roses. And that's kind of something that I thought about a lot while I was recovering. So haven't mentioned this yet, but you know the reason I posted the article about burnout was because I I was working four jobs. And while my willpower is there, I want, when I find something, I want to go after it. I want to do it well. And I want to do it the best that anyone can do it. But my body can't keep up to that. I still have to live within the physical bounds of my body. And it just said, sorry, working 60 hours a week without taking a day off, that's not something you're going to be able to do. So I ended up sick. I ended up in bed and just had to rest. Like if you ask me what I was sick with, I couldn't tell you. It was like a fever without a fever. I was simply tired. And uh, I remember on the fourth day, I knew that I had to get up and go to my W-2 job. So I got up out of bed. I got changed into my professional clothes, grabbed my briefcase, and I was feeling dizzy. I could barely even stay on my feet. So I said, oh, I need to just lay down for a minute so I don't fallen face plant here. And I ended up falling asleep and didn't wake up until one o'clock that day. So the physical burnout was real. But if you look at other cultures, you mentioned the mini retirement and other cultures like the uh, the Jewish culture, for example, took every seventh year off. There was no work that could be done in the seventh year. And in fact, all debts were repaid in the seventh year as well. So that's really fascinating that they had these mini retirements built into their culture. And I wonder how different America would be and how many more entrepreneurs we would see if Americans built the same mentality into their culture and did take mini retirements. I have one scheduled now that's a forced mini retirement. If I don't want to take it too bad, I've got to. It's on my calendar.
6: I love the idea of taking a mini retirement and the people who go and take a six month, one year, two year career break and then really take that time to evaluate what do I want to do? You know, I always struggled with the thought of what's next, what am I going to do when I retire? Because I was in a job that contractually prohibited me from taking up any income earning side hustles. Some people in finance or accounting have those types of restrictions in their job. And I give credit to Doug Nordman for writing a post back in 2011 called The Fog of Work that was a play off of The Fog of War. And I encourage everybody to read it because that was one of the first times I read something in the FI community where it said it's okay to leave and not know what you're going to do next.
1: So, Landshark, I'd like to bounce off that statement. It's okay to leave and not know what you're going to do next. But I also feel like we're saying that, in some sense, financial independence is a false goal. That if that's like our main goal, we're going to find ourselves burned out. How do you mix those two ideas together?
5: It's tough. I think if you have a singular focus on FI to the exclusion of all else, you will be necessarily disappointed, albeit rich, when you reach fi and fire. I think if you don't take the time to actually think about your values and think about the things that you want to do to contribute to the world and to society, then you're chasing something that I think there's going to be some disillusionment when you get there because you're going to get to cross the finish line and then say, then what? because you haven't actually taken the time to think about the things that you value, which is really why it's important to read blogs, read books about, you know, personal development and think about the things that you want to achieve in life. There's this great quote from uh, Hal Elrod and he said, you know, what, who you're becoming is far more important than what you're doing. And yet it is what you're doing that determines who you're becoming. And that's at Lanchard really just hit home because, you know, it's these you know, success is processional and you're constantly on this path where, you know, you get into this habitual pattern. You wake up at the same time every day, you go to work, you pick up the kids from daycare, and then before you know it, life has passed you by and you haven't really taken the time, as Mr. Refined talked about, as Brandon pointed out, to smell the roses along the way. So it is important to identify the things that you're passionate about, to identify the things that you're looking to to contribute to society along the way. It's also important to take time to pay attention attention to your own personal health and well-being along the way because otherwise you will be burned out when you get to fi you're going to be so thankful that you've hit that goal and retired but then you're going to be lost you're going to be you know at sea without an utter and uh it's it's going to be a problem
0: Yeah, Lion Shark, you brought up a really good point that I wanted to build on. I recently posted a meme on social media. And in the first scene, it shows this guy running after money floating through the air and he's tucking it into his arm and trying to grab every dollar bill out of the air and tuck it into his arm. And then in the next scene, it shows him with an arm full of money. He's at the end of this path. He's looking over a cliff and there's a little sign stuck in the end that says the end. And he's older in age. And you realize that He spent his entire life chasing these dollars and now he's at the end of his life with a fistful of dollars and he's got tons of money, but what good does that do you if you no longer have time to do whatever those dollars will buy you? And most people think that dollars buy happiness, but I would challenge that in just saying most of the things, if you just sat down and listed out everything that brought you happiness, it wouldn't be dollars. They allow you the freedom to be able to pursue those things because you're no longer plugged into a cubicle donating your time to corporate America, but it's that time that you need to really explore
3: and that's exactly the reason we actually stopped chasing an early retirement because we do want to have those dollars at the end however we want to enjoy it along the way we want to you know explore our lives and we're not investment bankers we're not orthopedic surgeons we're so for us to reach that phi number, we're really going to have to cut out and live extremely frugally for the next however many years to make that happen. And then over those years, we're missing out on the vacations, the nice vacations with our daughter, and we're missing out on all these other things that we might enjoy, like, I don't know, TV. So (laughs) the extreme frugality piece for me was definitely a burnout and it's not worth it to me.
5: That's a really good point, Lisa. And the way the land sharks went about it, we definitely tracked our net worth and we focused on the big things, paying off the mortgage, getting the kids through daycare. And once those two line items out of the budget were taken care of, it essentially bought us a sliver of FI just in and of themselves because there were such huge line items in our budget. So it was like 60% of our budget that all of a sudden was now free and available. You know, And we periodically will track expenses as a means of keeping tabs on lifestyle and inflation, but we still reward ourselves along the way. The land sharks we take nice vacations. And while we may travel hack a little bit and take advantage of credit card rewards, land sharks stay in nice hotels. That may not necessarily be acceptable from the fire community, but when the land sharks went to Disney World, the land sharks stayed at the Polynesian Village and paid top dollar for it. And land sharks are totally happy with that decision because the kids had great memories and we had great memories and we don't regret it at all. So I think one means of combating burnout along the way is the concept that Lisa brought up is periodically rewarding yourself along the way. And to make sure that you're not missing out, spending all your time and money getting to FI and not having the opportunity to have really rewarding, meaningful experiences that will shape those memories that as Mr. Refine brought up, those are the types of memories that your kids will remember. Learning how to throw the spiral football, you know, those types of memories that really make life worthwhile.
3: I'm so on board with that and in fact we went to Disney a few years ago and we stayed at a mid-grade a hotel resort and it was it was fine but we walked into the lobby of the Polynesian and my mouth dropped and I was so angry. We didn't know about it, actually, or we would have stayed there. But I can say with us still chasing Phi and getting closer and closer every day, my stress level goes down and that W-2 job, although I do enjoy it, and it's just not as important as it was maybe five years ago, right? So, and I feel like if and when we hit our number, our number in quotes, right? <laughs> it's a sliding scale, but we will have the option, I will have the option of Changing jobs, leaving it for something else, although I don't think I'll take it because I do I do enjoy the job.
1: So Lisa, I'd like to transition a little bit. You mentioned in one of your blog posts this idea of scrolling through the profile social media on mm-hmm. Sunday night before going to work on Monday. and maybe how that didn't have the greatest effect on you. You know, are the fire content producers selling a dream that maybe is not helping your average social media consumer right now?
3: I think yes. (laughs) I think definitely. I mean, yes, scrolling through, uh, obviously my Facebook feed is full of financial, personal finance stuff. So I see all this stuff all the time. I'm sure everyone else does too. But yeah, that definitely contributed to my negative attitude. My case of the Schmundays, right, on Sunday at 2 p.m. Like, oh my gosh, I have to get up and, you know, however many hours and drag myself into the office. But uh, definitely, definitely that contributed to it. And I do think it is selling a dream. I think a lot of the people producing the content, you know, there are people. I make a hundred thousand dollars a year from my blog. You can too, you know. <laughs> it's, and and you can, but oh my gosh, is it a lot of work to get there, right? And so, can can the average person? can they really follow these principles and make this happen in their own lives? The average person, yes, they can. Yes, obviously the answer is yes, but do they want to? Do they want to save 50% plus of their income? Do they want to, you know, increase their income, cut down their expenses, really live minimally to get that savings rate up? Maybe not. And maybe that's not, you know, it's not speaking to everyone. So uh, that's my concern with the fire movement. Are you selling a dream that's not realistic for the majority of the people that who would still be on board with reaching financial independence, even if it takes them the majority of their lifetime to do so.
0: So Lisa, I think that's a valid point. You're bringing up something that I think turns people off from the FIRE movement. You know, I hate it, I hate it, I hate it. comes from this idea that you're just going to go from zero to a 65% savings rate overnight. And what I'm hearing also from all these panelists is the right answer isn't necessarily going from a 60% savings rate to boom, retired. I think this Coast Fi idea that was mentioned is a really good plan of kind of slowing down gradually. So you start introducing those passions in place of that job title. And I guess what I would say to people that aren't totally on board with this message yet is give it a chance. Scale into it. Stick your toe in the water and just test out the waters and see like, hey, what if I did 10% next year? What if I go from 10% to 20% and use a spectrum theory rather than an all or nothing and just say, what does my life look like if my savings rate is 30%? Is that the healthy mix for me of saying I get to enjoy a lot of life's joys right now, like staying at Disneyland, but I'm also doing a good job saving for my eventual retirement, even if it pushes a five date out 10,
5: 20 years. Landshark agrees with that. In terms of selling a dream, Landshark believes that there is not a right answer for all people, right? Everybody has different things that they value in life. And there's no one right answer in terms of savings rates. There's no right one right answer in terms of, should I pay off the mortgage or should I take out the longest mortgage possible and invest for the future, right? There are different choices that we all make based on our values. But the problem that Landshark's been lurking in the, the FIRE community for a long time and has only just recently surfaced this past May and just because Landshark felt that he had a need to add his voice to the to the, the conversation. Where Landshark seen the, the discussion go though is that the the fire community two, three years ago, seemed to be really positive and seemed to be really supportive. And over the past year, year and a half, it has seemed to kind of devolve into a way that it's a little more competitive. There's a lot of politics now being mentioned in, in FIRE blogs and on FIRE Twitter and on FIRE Facebook. And Landtruck believes that we're really losing sight of what's important, which is you know developing a community that is supportive of all of us. And not competing about, oh, well, Landshark has the right answer and therefore it's the right answer for Lisa and for Robert and for Mr. Refine and for all of you. Uh, Landshark hopes he has the right answer for Landshark and Landshark's trying to do the best for Landshark and Landshark wishes the best for all of you. So, you know, Landshark hopes that, you know, we can all bring a little more positivity and a positive message to the fire community and try to recenter and refocus ourselves on what the purpose in all of this is, which is achieving financial freedom to buy us freedom to buy us time. So we can then have the most meaningful lives that we can all hope for. i like to expound on
4: that because As the fire movement is growing and becoming more of a, I think, a legitimate movement, it's getting larger. And as a result, it brings in some of these ideas of politics and it's not so ideal anymore, right? There's nuances now. So is the movement burning out? Is it turning into something that we don't really want? That's kind of the the original crux of this question is individually, are you going through this idea of burnout? And what are we doing in the space to make sure that we're not uh, burning the camp? handle it both ends and flaming out.
0: Yeah, Paul, that was a really well phrased question. And there's another question that came up on social media, I think with me and Mildall, and it was basically, can we do what the forerunners of this movement have done? When you look at the Pete's of uh, Mr. Money Mustache and the Brandons of Mad Scientist and all these other social media present iconic leaders of this movement, I think yes, but I think it, it's going to be a different battle. And if you look at their timing, a lot of them happened to just fall on a low point in the market and come up and be able to invest through an incredible bull run in the market. Some of them have been very successful in real estate as well, where that may not be typical returns. So we're seeing this kind of, it's been made to look a little easy from some of these forerunners. However, our market conditions may not be as positive. If you look at a couple of the leading minds, um, Jack Vogel, before his passing, anticipated, I think between, I think he said a five and a 7% return and Warren Buffett was anticipating something like a four to a six or something like that. So maybe the future of investing doesn't look as as easy as just put your money in and look again in a couple of years and boom, it's it's doubled, tripled, quadrupled. But I think because of the initiative that we all bring to this movement, because of how entrepreneurial we are, because of how creative we are, I think we'll find other investments and other ways, whether it's through side hustle or a little more work to facilitate the same level of success. But I do agree that, hey, there was some market conditions that led to easy early success in this movement. Now, is that realistic? That's the question we have to ask when faced with burnout. Is it realistic? How much work does it take to duplicate that rate of success?
5: Landshark thinks that with any movement that grows the way the fire movement is growing, it's natural that you're going to have these factions that are forming and you're going to have more kind of compartmentalized groups within the fire movement. So there is not just a one size fits all fire movement anymore. There's a real estate fire movement. There's the index fire movement. There's the political fire movement. There's the lean fire people. There's the fat fire people. And you know, there's a, a little growing pains associated with what we're seeing in the fire movement. And Landshark doesn't think that that's actually going to work its way out. It's, it's just going to be something that is going to continue to grow and it's going to continue to grow over time as more attention gets put on the fire movement. Um, so I, Landshark thinks that it's, it's really just something that's, that's here to stay. In terms of whether fire is actually burning out, Landshark thinks that the concept of fire, financial independence, retiring early, never really could sustain itself because most people can't even pay their credit cards off on a monthly basis, let alone save at a 50% or 20% savings rate for retirement and hope to retire early. So it's an artificially compartmentalized world that everybody within the fire movement is living within that is then getting compartmentalized even further into these subgroups. Landshark just hopes that that people start treating each other with a little more respect. Social media certainly isn't prone to bringing out the best in people. And that's the shame in all of this is you open up Twitter and it, it can be really toxic at times. And if anything is going to contribute to fire burnout, it's not fostering a community. It's actually driving us against each other and, and driving a wedge between us. So Landshark would argue that we should all do a better job at uh, actually fostering community, being good to one another if we want the fire movement to really grow to where it should be. No,
6: I think one of the good things about the growth of the FIRE movement is the ability for people now to find somebody who's relatable. You know, five or six years ago, when I started looking at this you know i don't know if a bike riding engineer was the most relatable person to me when i was wearing a suit to work every day and working in a hot climate but what what i have enjoyed is people who reach out to me on my blog and say hey i feel like i'm 5 years your junior and following a similar path i look at the number of physician bloggers that are out there now that other physicians are relating to i mean when i was working we financed a doctors group and went to dinner with all the physicians and It was really impressive when the white coat investor in position on fire was brought up at dinner about how they were learning about finance. And then I had to not get really giddy in my professional job and start talking about them.
4: Which is tough to do when you have those two intersections of your worlds overlap. You're like, I can talk about this with these people, but then it just doesn't overgo go the way you think it should. At Lisa, I'm curious what your thoughts on this are about the personal burnout that you've talked about and what maybe advice you would give to other folks who may be listening to this that are maybe experiencing the same burnout. They're kind of tired of hearing about it, but they also know that there are merits to the idea.
3: The burnout I experienced was really uh, associated around the extreme frugality piece that my husband and I embarked on when we found the fire movement back in 2015. So, you know, we cut the cable, we stopped going out to eat, we, you know, scaled back any vacations or didn't take them. It wasn't a life worth living to me to get the money invested a little bit faster wasn't worth it to me. You know, I even started a clothes buying ban and I think I went a year and a half without buying clothes, which I guess that's good, but I never had a problem in the first place. So it's not like I'm a shopaholic and hiding bags in the trunk until my husband leaves, you know, the house. So at the end of that ban, I actually went out because I did need some new things. I needed some clothes for work for my W-2 job. And, uh, you know, I spent some money, but, you know, I didn't go overboard and I would have spent probably the same amount of money had I not embarked on that band in the first place and I felt deprived, you know, so it wasn't worth it. Like those sort of things, it's just, it's gimmicky for me and it's just not worth it. And however, there are some things, some gimmicks that I do use that I enjoy. So I know that some of these things are motivational for people. And again, I'm not bashing the fire move. I love it. And I love the principles of fire. Just for us, we've scaled back the acceleration of it and we're focusing more on FI.
4: Which is the advice that we hear silver people here talking about, even from, you know, for, through Mr. Refined by Mad findus was, you know, slow down, right? I mean, what's the hurry?
5: <laughs> Lisa, it's good that you didn't go overboard uh, for <laughs> obvious reasons, but it's kind of like trying to lose weight, right? Mm-hmm. Calorie deprivation, it works, but it's not sustainable. And extreme frugality, works but it's not sustainable so in terms of you know from landshark's perspective you know what helps landshark stay motivated is setting these things on automation putting in processes in place that can be automated over time that 5 10 15 years later you're going to open up your bank statements and your vanguard account statements and then as warren buffett talks about how then you'd have a heart attack you got to call your cardiologist so that's the way to really avoid burnout It's to set it and forget it not check your accounts too often, not freak out about market movements, but live a little along the way. And extreme frugality, if it doesn't cause stress to yourself, it's going to cause stress to those around you, whether it's your friends or your family, because you're not going to be going out to dinner with them and you're not going to be picking up a bar tab and you're not going to be buying your kids, you know, the stuffed animals that they want when they're on vacation. And, you know, there are the things in life that, just aren't worth the extreme frugality because, you know, the the latte factor, right? Habitually, they can turn into problems. But, you know, once in a while, they're actually really nice rewards that can help you stay motivated and smell the roses along the way.
4: Okay. So I appreciate all of y'all's contribution. That's something we've been talking about here in this conversation. And I think what you're talking about is really helpful and will resonate with the audience. I'd like to give each of you a chance to let us know what's going on in your life and where can we find you? So Lisa, where can we find you and what is up next for you?
3: So, you can find me at madmoneymonster.com and all over social media at madmoneymonster. And actually, the latest uh, news on my part is that we launched a podcast a few weeks ago, a few months ago. Yeah. So, uh, it's the Mad Money Monster show, and you can find it pretty much everywhere.
4: And I'm sure it'll be a resounding success. Looking forward to hearing more about that. <laughs> Thank you for being on here. Landshark, how about you? Where can we find you? And what is up next for you?
5: Well, Landshark doesn't have a blog or a podcast, but if you'd like a pun-filled nautical take on financial independence, uh, you can find the Landshark at I am IamLandshark on Twitter and uh, Ian IanLandshark on Facebook, or you could drop Landshark an email at LandsharkFinancial at gmail.com. In terms of what's up next, well, as all of you know, it is Shark Week. So that is pretty much occupying all of Landshark's time this time, this, this week, naturally. <laughs> Naturally. All right, Mr. Refined, where can we
4: find you and what is up next for you?
0: Absolutely. So I'm Mr. Refined blogging at refinedbyfire.co and you can find me on social media under the same refinedbyfire.co, but definitely most responsive on my blog. What's up next for me? Well, the podcast has been delayed, but it is still coming. My burnout has definitely set it back and taught me a few lessons about where I need to reprioritize in life. So I've slowed that project down intentionally, but it's still on the docket.
4: Well, looking forward to hearing about that. Robert, where can we find you? And what is up next for you? You can find me at
6: stopironingshirts.com. And what's next for me is enjoying early retirement and the ocean some, hoping I don't go overboard because I was concerned about shark and the calorie deprivation. All right, this
1: has been the what's up next podcast on behalf of myself doc g and my co-host paul thompson we wanted to thank lisa the mad money monster robert from stop ironing shirts land shark
4: from land shark financial and mr Refine from Refine by fire if you would like to get updates on what doc and i are thinking up next you can text the word next to 345 345 so you can get notified of free giveaways opportunities to engage with the what's up next podcast and maybe even be a guest on the podcast we're adding consistent content to our facebook group and you can get access by texting the word next to the number three four five three four five that's a wrap yeah robert sent us a note saying that he he had to stay on on mute the whole time because he was laughing at all the land sharks jokes
0: (laughs) i was trying to lean from the microphone because those were good
4: there's always one (laughs)
6: Wise guy, yes. I just want to know how you made it an hour in that in that suit. <laughs> it's
4: it's really hot. <laughs> yeah, for those of you who can't see this, Land Shark is actually wearing a shark head, and we can just barely see his face peeking out. Uh, yeah. And he has a sawtooth. Uh, yeah, like, like he's, he's actually being eaten alive by a shark right now. It's a, a
5: latex shark mask and it smells like latex and it doesn't breathe at all.
6: <laughs> okay, just I just want to know why the background is outer space.
5: <laughs> space shark. Space that's, shark. That's for you to posit.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so I just read the book about alter ego and you are nailing it with your alter ego. There.
4: <laughs> Too seriously? Is it brevity or levity? It's
0: said brevity.
1: Levity,
5: I think. Is levity, levity, <laughs> levity, levity. <laughs> <like> <laughs>
4: Yeah, yeah you me, talk much. You much more, much
0: more brief. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to recommend you for the Sacking
5: Benjamins podcast.
4: Um, yeah, you'd, you'd be uh, a good addition for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
5: Land will uh, take all all requests, and uh, this is Land Shark's first podcast. So,
4: oh, okay, yeah, oh, nice. So yeah. here's the thing: I, I take uh, payments in beer, cash, or beer. <laughs> so. What does uh, Landshark a Land Shark take uh, payment in?
5: Uh, Landshark Lager
4: Lager, okay. He'll, he'll, take, he'll take beer too.
0: <laughs> you know that beer of Landshark, right? Yeah.
4: yeah, well, no, there is a beer called Landshark. You know, land I, I
0: saw it in the grocery store and I was like, oh man, yeah.
6: I think what Landshark is saying is we all need to take a big group swim together in the ocean,
4: <laughs>
6: absolutely. <laughs>